Welcome aboard, riders, to the Animusings podcast. Please make sure you keep your hands and arms on the horse at all times, and make sure you don't undo that yet that strap. We're gonna ring the bell three times, and then you'll be off to go to uh, Sword in the Stone. And hang on. <laughs> Cue Calliope music. Hey, it's King Arthur Carousel. It's the closest, and there's not that, like a. Actually, that let's face it, that is. Sword in the Stone, right there. Yeah, that's the. Clo- I mean, it's right by the Sword in the Stone, so that's the that's true. best well, thing I could. Well, it's King Arthur's carousel. It's King Arthur's carousel. So, basically, it's, the, it's because the- because Wart's carousel doesn't roll off the tongue very well. Not really. Nah. No. Hey, everybody! It's November, and welcome to Animusings, the podcast where we talk about Disney movies, but specifically the feature animated ones that were produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios. We are now in 1963, and today we are talking about The Sword in the Stone. Yes. And, <laughs> well done. That's Kayla over there. Hi, I'm Kayla. This <laughs> And I'm David. Uh, if you're just joining us now, you have missed a lot. There's a, quite a bit of uh, exciting and uh, historical animation. It's been... It's, it's crazy because we're it's we're starting knowing our history. We're starting to get toward the end of the Walt era. Well, this is actually the last movie that Walt produced alive because he was in the midst of Jungle Book when he passed away. Right. So or, or last, wait, but there an, were, last animated film. Let me. Right. But I'm, what I'm saying is, when we get to Jungle Book, that w- movie will still have had Walt's influence it, on it because he was have, the movie was in production. Yes. When he passed. So. Yes, but he passed when it was released. Uh, in 1667? Uh, I haven't really... I thought Jungle Book was 69, but was, I could be wrong. It, you could be right. I it's I haven't done the research. I mean, we'll, we'll get there, but uh, what's, 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 that's, that's neither here nor there. It's 1963. We're not at the New York World's Fair yet, but we're getting there. Um, a, a couple of young fellas by the names of... 67. 60, it was 67, because I know Walt passed in 66. Jungle Book came out in 1967. Boom, I was right. Well done. Thank you. All right. Sorry, but we're not talking about Jungle Book today. We're talking about the Sword in the Stone. The Sword in the Stone. And this movie's weird. <laughs> this is a weird one. Yeah. I, I watch... Okay, what's your history with Sword in the Stone? I, well, as a kid, I genuinely really like this film. Now, um, for the longest time, and even now, uh, Merlin is one of my favorite characters. Like, I genuinely love Merlin as a character. Um, and I think this was, this was also uh, um, set in motion when I was little and we went to, like, Disneyland. Uh, not for the first time, but it was, like, the first time I remember it, like, when I was eight. Uh-huh. And I met Merlin. And that was a really good experience. It was a really good character experience. Merlin, the, the whoever, you know, they I think that when they cast, when someone is cast as Merlin, they, get, they do a good job picking people who can be blustery and eccentric and but really kind to mm-hmm. the to the people they bring up. Yeah. Cuz I you know that's that's a common trait there with Merlin is he's 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 just trying to instill positivity into the youth. He has a I love his personality and we'll get into that in a little bit, but um yeah, like I I did enjoy this as a kid. Um I had a lot of good memories of this movie. I did rewatch it when I was 14. Um but I didn't and rewatching it now as an adult, it's weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into it more later. That's, that's how I feel. I used this is this is one that I was all I I, I I was familiar with and I did see quite a bit, but I, I another one I didn't own on VHS. 
I would rent it every so often. And while there are parts of it that I really enjoy, it never stuck with me to the same level other Disney films did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the characters are incredibly memorable, especially Merlin. Merlin and Archimedes and uh, Madame Mim, who we'll also talk about. But, you know, you don't see Madame Mim popping up in the... Um, top annals of Disney history as one of like the top villains or anything. So I think that says a little bit because we just came off of Cruella de Vil. Um, <laughs> I think that says something. So, um, but yeah, so I, it is weird, but we'll, we'll get into why as, as always, we're going to break this one down. Uh, what can you tell us about the history of this film? Kayla? Well, uh, first off, this film was released, uh, December 25th, 1963. So it was released on Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and just before New Year's, because New Year's Day fe- features prominently in the story of this one. Yes, it does. Um, so before I get into like how well it did, um, it first off, it was uh, well Disney had the rights since 1939, <laughs> and they had the storyboards produced in 1949. Let's take a good guess why it didn't. It took because some- of literally everything that happened that we've discussed <laughs> in previous episodes. World War II, animation strike, uh, the studio both gaining and losing money depending on what uh, features were released around that time. So, uh, so many delayed projects. So um, when 101 Dalmatians was completed in 1960, there were two projects that were in development. One was Sword in the Stone, the other, you're not going to believe this, is Chanticleer. Chanticleer. Yes. Wow. A movie that will never be made by Disney. I mean, maybe they might make it, but yeah. Yeah. Isn't, so, okay. Is this re- why Don Bluth would eventually go on to do Rock-A-Doodle? Well, he, w- he wasn't working on it. As- no, but he must, but I mean, Chanticleer was enough. <laughs> yeah. It was- he did work at the Disney studio for a bit. So. Yeah, this, but that was back in the 70s, if I recall. Oh, no, I know. I'm just saying. So, this this is so... People could have you could have caught wind of this lost Disney project. Go, I want to do my own Chanticleer story, you know? So, But here's the funny part. A lot of the big name ones were working on Chanticleer, like uh, Ken Anderson, Mark Davis, Milk Hall, uh, Wolfgang Reitherman, and they spent months creating like the storyboards and such. And they're showing Walt this uh, um, presentation, like trying to show him. All of a sudden, a voice from the back of the room yells, You can't make a personality out of a chicken! Who yells it? Bill Pete. Bill Pete? Bill Pete, yeah. You so-and-so, so, how dare you! By the way, if you want to... You have- I know several very personable chickens. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, uh, Sword in the Stone is... <laughs> Bill Pete's name comes up quite a bit for Sword in the Stone. He sabotaged Chanticleer so he could push Sword in the Stone. Sword in the Stone was Bill Pete's baby. Like right. he, he was the directing uh, or direct. He was the animation director for this, and his name pops up quite a bit. So um, when the time came to approve the one of the two projects, here's what Walt said: said the problem was with Chanticleer. You don't feel like picking up a rooster. And petting it. I disagree. Well, actually, that's not true. I don't feel like picking up a rooster and petting it. But I don't feel like picking up Arthur and petting him either. So, I mean, what? We're Merlin. So, uh, the work for Sword of the Stone was solely done by Bill Pete. Okay. Um, and then he, I think what also pushed the project more was the fact he saw Camelot. In 1960. Oh. And if you recall, uh, guess who was in Camelot at that time? 
I Julie Andrews. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. him watching that will eventually lead to him talking to her and saying, uh, saying, you know, we got this film coming out. It's called Mary Poppins. I think you're going to really like it. And she's like, that's wonderful, but I'm pregnant. And he's like, okay, we'll wait. <laughs> he waited for her to have a baby so to make this film. That's amazing. So, because he loved her that much. He really loved uh, her in the musical Camelot. 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 Exactly. Camelot. It's only a model. Shh. <laughs> So, uh, I think after seeing Camelot, he was in the uh, King Arthur mood. So, he's like, let's do Sword in the Stone. And Bill Pete was like, it worked. And he gave a big middle finger to Chanticleer. Seriously. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, Bill Pete pushed for this. And the, I, uh, opening credit. I mean, this is a good way to interweave this with the opening credits a little bit. Because just like every other movie, this is a... this is Was this another uh, RKO I can't remember. I can't remember. We started to get into... I, I think didn't this, see it. I think at this point it was Buena Vista. Yeah. Oh, it was Buena Vista. It wasn't RKO. This yeah. was Buena Vista production. They finally moved away from RKO a little bit. And now they're doing Buena Vista production. Now, the budget for this, by the way, was $3 million. That's okay. a little less than what they normally do, the typical $4 million. Right. Um, in theaters, this made $4.75 million. So they did... It did... It, it was a success. Yeah, it was a success. Not a smashing success. Not like 101 Dalmatians, but... No, uh, but it did... Um, it it was re-released in 1983, and it got $12 million, Oh. And it has a lifetime of $22 million. That's pretty good. So, yeah, it's good. It's not incredible. Like, if you remember, Cinderella was like something stupid. Like... It was an absurd amount of money. Oh, yeah. It was an awful lot of money. Yeah. Like, they were a huge success. And so was 101 Dalmatians, if you remember as well. Oh, of course. Yeah. But, like, this modest. It it, it made money. Right. Uh, Right, right. um, And actually, uh, there were, it it actually received an Academy Academy Award nomination for, believe it or not, best score for an adaptation or, adaptation or treatment. But it lost uh, against Irma Ladus. I don't know. I've never seen that film. I've never heard of it. Oh. And um, uh, the American Film Institute actually nominated Sword in the Stone uh, in their top 10 animated films list in 2008. Oh, wow. Now, at the time, though, um, it did get mixed reviews from critics. I can kind of see why. Their main reason, they said there's too much focus on the humor than on the story. That was the main I thing. I kind of agree because I feel like okay the the pacing the my first real thing to say the pacing in this movie is really strange yeah like not bad per se but there's parts where I feel like the the important things get a little rushed and I'll get to that it just feels like there's some there's some odd beats where there could have been more of the story maybe fleshed out a little more and maybe had some more m- moments where the characters interact as opposed to like a lot of the slapstick but don't get me wrong the comedy is gold. There's some really good oh, funny yeah. moments in this. You and I laughed out loud at a lot of the parts here or in this film. Yeah. Like, it is it's strange. Like It is it is a strange movie. Uh for example, one thing um Dave and I both noticed like during the credits since we're still in kind of the credit sequence, we see that the songs are done by the Sherman brothers. And I asked Kayla, is this one of their, this is one of their earliest big film credits, right? This is actually their first Disney animated feature. Right. They'd done stuff before that. You mentioned the, they did, uh, they wrote a song for the absent-minded professor. Yeah. I I wanted to look this up uh, to see like um, 
if they had done other work before this. And yeah, they did a song here or there and such. Annette the, Funicello had a lot of songs that she had yeah, to do from like, them. Yeah. Uh, but because the reason why I looked this up is because I'm like, these are the Sherman Brothers wrote this? Really? Because the songs are weird. Well, considering the songs are higgledy piggledy wiggledy blue or whatever. Well, and then also, like, uh, well, I mean, of course, there's the the songs that they sing that, that are sung when Wart's getting his lessons from Merlin, but those are depending on the environment. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, let's... Uh, I think uh, we can begin it now. I honestly, we could talk. Uh, the nine old men are not nine old men anymore. Instead, four of the four of them four were of involved them. in this movie. Uh, I, and I saw some other... Fr- Ken, you know, it was funny because Ken Anderson's name came up as a, as a direct... Like an animation director or, or some key animator yeah, or something. So he- and you were like... Didn't he get fired? And I said, and I don't think he was fired, but I think as he was working out this, I could just picture Ken working and Walt glides by in the background, just glare, like death glares over his shoulder at but, Ken and then keeps going. But then also, I wonder if, because I think it happened, like, if you remember, what well, well, 101 Dalmatians was completed in 1960, but it wasn't released until later. Right, so, they, so Ken would have still been working on this, probably. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know when Walt was like, you'll ne- like was basically being a jerk and was like no i you 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 will not take control ever again so this was like maybe one of his last i don't know we'll maybe. we'll take a look when we get to the cuz you know again this if, if if this whole process has taught me anything it's that um Walt was wrong in many <laughs> cases and is and and i'm cool with that because you know he Here's the thing. I like I like knowing this because it lets me make fun of Walt <laughs> Walt more. <laughs> so uh, you're gonna so you're actually gonna uh, like this. Um, so well, actually, I'll, once we Merlin gets addressed officially, I'll explain. All right. I'll explain. We have another storybook opening, so we're back to the fairy tale kind of mode. Even though this is based on a T. H. White novel. Uh, yes, but it, the T. H. White novel uh, is based on Sword in the Stone, and this is part of the Once and Future King uh, books. Right, so this is this is a another this is another person's retelling of the legend of King Arthur. Yes, so but, it's, it's, but it, it's still King Arthur. Honestly. Right, it has its roots in Arthurian lore. It's just a specific retelling. So it makes perfect sense why they would open with a book and open it as a fairy tale compared to where with One Hundred and One Dalmatians, completely different opening, and that makes sense to me. Like how One Hundred and One Dalmatians, because it took place in the sixties in London, perfect opening. This fitting. Right. It's interesting because, like, we have this. This is the first song in the in the movie goes along with the pages of the book. Yeah, I noticed they 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 actually sing like about some of the images. So we learned that it's Middle Ages. The King of England has passed and has no heirs. I noticed in the pages of the book I was looking at it. It mentions Uther Pendragon a couple times. Yes, he's the king that died. Right. So there's that's interesting that we they they that's brought up on the sidelines and never mentioned in the story, but it's cool. So that ties back to the you know the Arthurian legend. So. So the sword in the stone appears from heaven. God literally appears and goes, here's a sword. And he drops it in London if and anyone, it appears in an anvil. If if anyone could pull this sword out of the stone, you're the king. But no one could pull it because they all suck. 
and the stone and everyone's just like ah, i guess it didn't work god gave us a sword it didn't work clearly god is flawed so- <laughs> I, I like to say I, I like how you said it, it, it the world was in chaos there was no ruler it's all well they're saying that it's the dark ages because the king is dead right and there's no one to but, but the way it's where it's like it's all chaos there's no much hope everything's kind of just bad all around. We're told this while we're looking at a spooky forest, but we don't see anybody, like, running around killing anybody else. No. So it's, we no, only have this narrator to believe. It's like, okay, we'll we'll take your word for it, narrator. Sure, why not? Um, and then we get our first look at Merlin. We do see a hawk and a... And we do see the hawk and the wolf early on. Oh, this yeah. foreshadows them later. And the, and the squirrel, because you also see the squirrel. Oh, that's right. So they all, they all pop up at different intervals. We go through this forest, and then... We jump over to um, Merlin. We jump over to Merlin, who's trying to pull a bucket out of a well, and he's like, "Oh, the Dark Ages this sucks so much." Uh, I know every. I know about the future. I'm a prognosticator. This is all so ridiculous. And like, then go to the future, you old codger. So, uh, you're gonna like this. So, Walt did not know this until afterwards. Bill Pete designed the Merlin character after Walt. You mean always being a, a, a Argu- cantankerous old fuddy-duddy yep, who argued yeah, with actually, everybody? That's an argumentative, cantankerous, but still playful and very intelligent. That You know what? Mer- you know how Yen Sid is said to be Walt's avatar? Yeah. Now it's Merlin. Uh, totally it's Merlin. It's definitely Merlin. And then he also... so And the funny part is Pete also gave uh, Merlin Walt's nose. Oh. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Merlin's personality is very... Fairly similar to Walt, and I'm like, you know, I can kind of see that because it's true. Uh, the way Walt, Walt, or I mean, Walt. I'm sorry, I'm gonna like, <laughs> interchangeably use Walt and Merlin because you know Merlin. I notice he gets angry at the drop of a hat. Oh a yeah, like everything just makes the one small thing goes wrong, and he just loses it. He's like, blast it all, but uh, confound this beard, all that, you know. But um, I think it, what why it kind of works more in Merlin's favor is. Merlin is an old man, so <laughs> so it comes across as funny because like all oh, this old man is like oh these kids get off my long sort of thing like yeah. oh <laughs> where with Walt Walt um Walt was only like sixty seven when he passed away right so this guy he was like in his early sixties still like um still a middle aged man so. That still comes across as more... Right. Yeah. Well, Walt was born in, if I recall, 1901? Yes. Yeah. So I remember because I was in, uh, I was in um, Marceline, like the, uh, I was in Marceline like a couple years later and they still had like Walt's centennial <laughs> birthday. You, wait, you were in Marceline a couple of years later from 1901? No, I mean from 2001 when they <laughs> celebrated his centennial. Oh, okay. Yeah, his centennial birthday. <laughs> It's like, how old are you, David? I'm, well, I'm like Merlin. I'm a time traveler. Yeah, exactly. So, so Merlin's a time lord. And yes, because he knows about all this stuff in the future. And he talks about how much better it is down the line when all this other nonsense isn't happening. He's just living in a cottage in the woods with his familiar Archimedes. And Archimedes is just as cantankerous as him. Like, they really are very similar. Like, they're really good. It's like, it's definitely a good... They have a good dynamic. It's funny. But Merlin, you can definitely... I like how Merlin, despite his weirdness and eccentricness, he's, he, he's got a plan. He knows that 
because he because he is someone who deals with the future a lot, he knows that he's kind of got to set things up for whoever's going to come in and change the world, apparently. Yeah. So he, he puts a hole in his ceiling and then puts a chair immediately underneath said hole. Or maybe he didn't put a hole in the ceiling. I think he poked a spot in his ceiling. He was like, this is where the... He's going to drop in for tea in about half an hour. Mm-hmm. And then he does a vision and he sees uh, Kay and Arthur coming through the field. And he sees Kay. He's like, no, no, he, he looks to be about 20. No, no, I'm looking about a scrawny lad, about 11 or 12. Probably going through puberty throughout the entire movie. Oh, God. I can't wait to talk <laughs> about Arthur because this is insane. So, so yeah, that's all set up. So we get Arthur and Kay. But um, this time, Arthur goes by Wart at 11, 12 years old. And actually, um, so I forgot to tell you this. Uh, I actually read uh, some stories from uh, The Sword in the Stone when I was younger. Like, I did too, actually. And they do call him Wart in the book. Mm-hmm. Which I find, it's so weird. Like, this poor kid. And you know, what's weird is like, uh, Kay and uh, Wart's relationship is not as antagonistic in the book either, from what I recall. Oh, really? Yeah, they're not. They actually, they get along a lot better. Oh, okay. But I, I, this was a long time ago that I read it. So. I, feel, I feel like a lot of, for some reason, a lot of the relationships in this uh, movie, everybody's kind of so argumentative and so like antagonistic towards each other. Oh, they really are. Like, for sure, for geez. sure. It's, yeah... Um, it, it's supremely distracting, though, when whenever Wart speaks, so, because... So here's the funny part, and I don't know why they chose to do this. Well, okay, I kind of have an idea, but it's it's awkward. So when you have an someone playing a 11 or 12-year-old, yeah. eventually, you ha if you hire someone to do that voice, they're going to go through puberty and such. So instead of getting one voice actor, they get three. <laughs> um, one of them being Ricky Sorensen, mm -hmm. and the other two being Richard Reitherman and Robert Reitherman. If you haven't guessed, they're brothers, and they're the sons of Wolfgang Reitherman, who is one of the nine old men and directed this film. Right. Jeez. So, <laughs> and it's awkward, guys. Well, when it's... the voice is different just about every... Like scene, yeah. He he goes deeper to higher to deeper again, and it just really sounds like an awkward kid going through puberty, but somehow sometimes sliding backwards, sometimes going forward. His voice always cracks a lot. Yeah, so it's like it's so awkward. It's hilarious to me now as an adult. Well, the the, the most the most hilarious thing to me is how often we get a wart signature. Whoa, wart, whoa, as a scream, <laughs> and I've wanted, and they use the exact same one, like. At least ten times during the movie. Yeah. It's so great. Here's the thing. As, in terms of, like, to make, if you want to take a movie seriously, um, bad idea. This is idea. not that. No. This is not that at all. But since I, I like, throughout it, I'm just, it's all, I've, I've came to accept it as just a weird movie, and it, or, luckily it's already humorous as it is. It just adds to the silliness. It's just like. Yeah. But why? <laughs> um. Now, one of the things, uh, when, one of the weird things as of, like, during, or not film stars, uh, one of the weird things about, like, uh, when you start to see Wart and Kay interact and, like, their movement and such, I pointed this out to Dave, I'm like, their, their animation's a bit simplistic, but it's, like, a, not just simplistic, it almost feels not good enough, 
if you like, this looks like something that would have been animated for a TV show in the eighties. A little bit, like it's it's top quality TV animation, but not quite up to par with what Disney normally does. The backgrounds are different. Oh, the backgrounds are are great. But yeah, you definitely get a sense that I mean, you can. I think I think you can feel the budget constraints of this movie a little more. Yeah, since it was made with a million less than normal, like average. I don't know, maybe a little less. It's just it's a weird. uh, I think with uh, Dumbo, the whole thing is like lower budget. And that was acceptable to me, and it really still fit the theme of the whole film, too, because, I mean, it takes place in the 30s, and, or I think 30s, 50s, something, 20s? Uh, I can't remember. Something like that. But, like, Dumbo is definitely something, if if the animation's a bit more simplistic, it doesn't bother me as much, and the whole film feels like that. It feels cohesive. This... It's awkward. It's kind of awkward. There's, to me. There, yeah, I agree. There's but, a lot, and there's a lot awkward about this movie. Yeah, but then here's then another thing. Well, as we get further along this, there's some great animation moments. I, oh yeah, one scene in particular. But like I said, we'll get into that later. Uh-huh. But like, there's some great feats in animation. But then, but like the character design, it's weird. Uh, it's weird. But. So so Kay they're Kay's hunting. He misses a shot because whoa Wart, whoa uh, Wart falls off a thing and crashes into him, and because he was on a branch. And then uh, in order to make things up to to Kay, he goes into the woods to try and find the arrow. Uh, there's some shenanigans involving a wolf. Uh, that well, this wolf is like the most scrappy, scraggly looking thing. It's almost a wily e. coyote looking character, in my opinion. Um, and uh, eventually Wart. Misses the arrow, falls right through the roof of Merlin's cottage. Lands in his chair. Lands in his chair. And he's like, oh, you're ha- you're a little later than I thought. And he just strikes up conversation with him and Wart just rolls with it. I know. He's wh- sitting there with the, he's got the, those, those ridiculous expressions where he's holding the tea and his eyes are huge and he's just blinking. It's a weird, so. He's just confused and I feel for him in that moment. Because suddenly there's this, this weird old man with a pointy blue hat talking to me about how he's expected my arrival and how he knows about the future. And it's just. Like the fact that put he. Put in his shoes. The, the fact Wart is, like, handling all of this so calmly is just amazing to me. Just uh, He's like, oh, I, I am? Okay, I, I guess this is my life now. Yeah, I think he's used, I think at this point he's used to by, kind of being pushed around and dealing with other people's, what people expect of him. Well, what we've come to learn about him, because um, he does talk to uh, Merlin a bit, is he's an orphan. Um, mm-hmm. He was adopted uh, by... Um, Ector? Ector? Sir Ector. Sir Ector. And um, basically, is training to be a page. Yeah, basically, he wants to be Kay's uh, page, Kay's squire. squire. Kay's squire. And that's that's been his goal. And he's and Merlin's like, oh, poppycock! You must be educated. <laughs> like Merlin, uh, but, Merlin yeah, doesn't even know why he feels he has to educate this kid. He just knows he has to. Yeah, he knows that. Well, he's hoping that. Well, I think this is the counterpoint that doesn't get set up as well as I would like. But it's all about. Merlin's trying to end the Dark Ages, and he sees he sees Wart as the he knows figure it, to do it. He knows Wart's going to be the figure to do it, but he doesn't quite know how. That it doesn't get explained as well. I guess as an adult, you get the context clues, but uh, I, I don't know. I guess as a kid, I just kind of accepted it. I didn't really think much of it. Yeah, same. I wasn't thinking so much about the about what was you know. Uh, Some of the stuff that was involved. 
But Wart's like, oh, I gotta get back. And um, Merlin's like, oh, yeah, I'm coming with you because I'm planning to tutor you. And he's like, <laughs> he's just like, okay, I guess I have a wizard for a tutor now. Yeah. And then he's like, uh, he's like, oh, I gotta make sure I pack up and goes into Higgins, Biggins, Lester, Lester, Tony. This is a good little scene where he's like starting to like, he, he whisks all the items in his house into, the, uh, into his, his little carpet bag. And... Um, you know, nice bobbly, you know, um, you can see the potential in like the Sherman Brothers music here. And you can also see where Mary Poppins got her bag because everything in the, everything in the place goes in there. For some reason, the Sherman Brothers tend to write songs for Time Lords. Yeah, they just do. Also, there's a weird little gag about the, the animated, sugar, sugar, sugar cup. That's like serving oh, sugar, so, okay. and he's a little bit of like a. It, it's a little bit that one is that inanimate object is a little bit of a character for a bit, but he it doesn't. It only comes up in like a couple scenes, and then it, we never really see it do anything again. See, see the th- the thing is with this film, there's a lot of humorous gags in this. Like I've laughed quite a bit yeah. during this, but like the sugar gag is like the sugar is like pouring sugar into it, and then he's like, um, well, when 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 and it stops. Uh, 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 well, basically, because he's like pouring sugar into uh, Wart's cup, and then sugar uh, Merlin says, "Now say when," and Wart's, uh, Wart's like, "When?" and then the sugar cup stops, and then he's pouring sugar into Merlin's. See, Merlin just keeps talking and talking, doesn't notice that this this thing is continuously putting sugar in, and then Merlin's like, "Oh, oh God, when? When? Blast it all! When?" <laughs> so good. And so it's like you're supposed to know, God. Mm. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but it. Again, there's a lot of funny gags in this. This is very humorous. Yeah, you know, this is it weird to say, Kayla, that I don't want to necessarily go over every nuance of the plot in no, this one. I know. I'm not feeling it as much this time. The around. plot is not there. Okay. Well, well, the shorthand. So they pack up. They move out. They go to the castle, and it's an old beat up castle. We learn that it's July. Yes. And it- once. And and they're really weird. Ector is and 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 Kay are, are well. Ector in particular is weirdly okay with just suddenly admitting a wizard to his house. No one's afraid of magic in this, not oh, necessarily. Now there is also a couple probably because of- God actually literally sent a sword to London. <laughs> yeah, everybody's kind of cool. well. No, because there's a point where Ector is like ass. Uh, well, I mean, Mer- he's, Merlin, he's, he's like, oh, uh, you can't be a wizard, uh, The the world's relationship with magic is kind of like. You're not certain. It's like, do they really believe in it? Are you sure you don't believe in it? Because if you realize, like, okay, Merlin and Wart come in, and then Ector's like, no, you can't be a wizard, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, Merlin's just like, um... He makes a snowstorm. He makes a snowstorm. A wizard blizzard. And he's like, oh, so, oh, okay, yeah, you're totally magic. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then says, uh, yeah, okay, okay, magic's real. But then later on... Magic is brought up again. He's like, how can this be possible? How can this be? You just saw him. Yeah, there's a, I don't know if it's a continuity thing, but like when later when the, the the he goes into the kitchen and sees the dishes doing themselves and says it's black magic of the worst kind, I'm I'm thinking to myself, what? But also, you're you're very confused about what magic is good or, and what it, which isn't. Or, or like when Wart's like, oh, I was turned into a fish. You lie. That's not possible. He, you just met a wizard. I know, you just he met could a disappear w- and reappear. He freaked you out at one point. It's like there uh, clearly you know magic exists. And I don't know why you're so like weird about it. Yeah. Also K K doesn't care at all. K's just oh, a big lug. He it, just hangs around and This that scene also when uh like 
uh, Sir Ector and Kay are talking is also kind of weird because the animation with Kay eating, like, I guess the bit last bits of a uh, chicken off yeah. a bone and, be, and throw, throwing the bone is repeated three times. It's the same animation. Yeah, same they, exact animation. But he, they just use different, like, words during it. It's just... Again, this there's there's several. There's a bit where um, Hector he goes toward the camera, right, and he's wagging his finger as he draws in, and then you see the finger uh, waving in Arthur's face or in Wart's face, and later he does the exact same animation, but now he's holding the broken hilt hilt of a sword, and they they use that same animation sequence twice. So this became for me as I'm watching it, it became spot the spot the reused animation. Yeah, there's a lot of reuse of animation in this, and this is actually probably the start of where we'll start to see more reuse. Well, well it happens a lot because I know I saw shots here that I would I know I would see later in the Jungle Book. Oh yeah. For example, um, um, the when dogs. the dogs, the two dogs tackle Wart after he comes back from the forest. I'm like, I've seen the wolves do this in in uh, Jungle Book. Because, and I know we're not supposed to talk about Jungle Book yet, but Jungle Book is seared into my brain because that was, that's still one of my favorites from that era. So, so but it's true. No. And then it's the same with like, um, I know there's a bunch of like Robin Hood one, like in Robin Hood, there's, uh, some similarities too from Sword and Stone as well. And, oh yeah. There's loads of them. And Jungle Book as well. I, yeah. This comes up quite a bit, but I think this is where we really start to see it. Um, uh, but, like, uh, Hector moves Merlin into the tower, and the tower sucks. The tower's practically falling apart. And he's like, yeah, it's the best room in the in the castle. And then it's like, there's a bunch of holes, and it starts raining, and it's there's all this water damage occurring. And um, I feel like, yeah, there's Mer- some incomplete gags here, because, like, I feel like we have a couple where it's like, oh, the drawbridge comes down during the rain, and the tower rocks like it's going to fall over. And then later, Kay crashes into the tower after being tossed with a joust and it almost seems like the tower is going to fall over you feel like there's going to be a payoff where the tower completely collapses but it never happens it never does and i was kind of disappointed like there's no rule of three with that comedy beat now okay for me sleeping beauty is weird but i feel there was a reason why it's weird like that had so many problems during like the background history right there's nothing here there's really no reason why. I blame Bill Pete. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> that's just a thing. This is basically maybe that's it. This is really one man's vision, and yeah. and it's like this is his baby. And I feel like if you give someone a little too much power over this, maybe it, it just didn't work out. Well, then again, Ken Anderson was that one hundred and one Dalmatians. That was kind of his baby too, and that turned out. Pretty right. cohesive. There's good, and the thing is, there's good. The comic, the comic timing in that one is very good because it's balanced with, I think, the more serious one. The pacing in that one doesn't feel strange. This one, I don't. Again, <coughs> the pacing is really weird. So we we're in we're in July. Merlin moves into the tower. He keeps talking about how he's going to start educating Wart. But meanwhile, Wart's still being kind of trained as a squire, and he's helping Kay out. Um, so but we don't even get to the first lesson for a little bit, and then... J- just letting you know, guys, there's not much of a story here. Yeah, and most of it is just Merlin kind of... He turned... Usually it's a vignette. It feels like a collection of vignettes. So they'll, their first one is they go on the castle grounds, and they go to the moat, and Merlin turns Wart into a fish so he could see what it's like to be a fish. Now, actually, this is one of the... The start of this is actually one of the... 
really good look at uh, animation pieces mm-hmm. because there's a point where for, it's focused on their reflections in the moat and how they interact. And I'm like, this looks really cool. It does look really cool. I actually like the look of this. This is an interesting angle. And then yeah. there's a similar, it, it comes the same when they both turn into fish and they're underwater. You see um, like the cameras uh, follow Ward as a fish moving up towards like the surface. There's and the chain from the drawbridge yeah. there that shows kind of where the water breaks. And you see Ward like uh, from underwater do like like do a dive uh, up top, and it's really lovely. It's, it's actually yeah yeah. I, it's I'm a really good feat of animation. It's it, again what an interesting and lovely angle to choose from. And there's you'll this will pop up quite a bit throughout the movie. Like there's some bits of animation that work well and. It, it's just, but the fact that the, it, this movie's just so strange. Um, but yeah, there's the fish bit, and 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 Merlin, Merlin's very keen on getting Wart to use his head and think of think of problems through. So when they get to a situation where they're being attacked by, for some reason, a barracuda, which is great because they do address this when when Merlin gets out of the water later, he's like, "What? Why was that in the moat?" Yeah. Why was there a barracuda in the moat of the so, castle? Which is funny because, like, David and I, like, earlier on, it's like, he, he, David um, are watch- and I are watching this, and the first thing David says when he sees it is like, why is there a barracuda in the moat? <laughs> and then later on, when Merlin gets away, it's like, what is that thing doing there? It's like, right, Merlin? Yeah. yeah I agree with you, Merlin. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, and, and, and Merlin is, like, not trying to help at all when this thing is trying to kill him because he just trusts that Wart can protect himself. Well, the idea is like... you're. But then he, at some point he forgets the... Sp- he starts like stumbling over the spell to get them back to normal, both of them. Yeah, because he was just like, you need to use your smarts to get out of this, boy. I'm not using my magic until you learn your lesson. It's like, dude, you could die. <laughs> yeah. Um, Archimedes ends up ultimately kind of saving Wart. Yeah, because like he keeps like Merlin forgets the spell, and then finally it isn't until Merlin turns back into human that he is able to help Wart turn back to human. Yeah, but this is a, I mean, this is a good scene once we get to the more actiony parts because you actually kind of appreciate the the you know pacing and the timing of the this, that bit. And the best the best part of that comes when they have when we have the wizard duel, which we'll get into. I know hold we're gonna oh, like I said, so we have the water bit. Yeah, but now here's a here's something I came to re- I've I've come to realize like talking about it, it's like yeah it's not cohesive why do I in- it's still for some reason enjoyable oh no it's yeah don't get me wrong I still enjoy the movie I just but watching it, I I realize why I don't enjoy it as much as other Disney films that yeah. we've watched but then I wonder this is such an awkward movie why don't I hate it like for with because I was like with Sleeping Beauty you know that I was just like. Ugh. It, it, it Even was, though technically, in some ways, it is paced better. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sleeping Beauty is paced better, and there's actually a story there. Why do I... But I'm not going to lie. I enjoy this movie more than I enjoy Sleeping Beauty, and I'm like, why is that? And then I it clicked just now. Merlin and Wart have a better relationship and are much <laughs> more developed characters than most of the characters in Sleeping Beauty. This is a fair point. This like, is a very fair point. Mer- they actually have a good... There's, a, there's, there's. I wish there could have been more of it, but there's, there is a good established relationship between these two characters. Yeah, like, it really is... It is a teacher-student relationship. War is very curious. Um, he's... But at the same time, it's like, he has this school. It's like, well, I want to be a page, but I'm open to learning. I, he's... 
he's uh, he's confused about the world. I mean, and it makes sense. This is a kid that's an orphan taken in, and it's just like he was. He was never properly educated in anything but being a squire. And then so he's he or or even just doing random drudgery work around the castle. So like he's he doesn't know how to read or write. He was never taught. And one of the things Merlin brings up during uh during the movie, and it, this is completely true. Wart tries to put all his heart and effort into everything he does. And it's true. When you see Wart, like, trying to figure out, like, how to swim and how to fly, he's really trying and actually wants to learn. And it's... Right. Like, their relationship is fantastic. I think so, too. I it's They're very engaging. And I think that's why I enjoy watching this movie. It's still an awkward movie. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> but... No doubt. Um, but... So, I mean, the next lesson comes only after... Oh, uh, there is a song, just to bring it up. There's oh, yeah. The To and Fro song. To and Fro. Stop, Stop and go. go. That's what makes the world go round. The Sherman Brothers, everybody. See, and as I, as I get through this, like, the, sh- the songs, it's like, they're not bad songs. No, they're not. I, it, I'm like, why are they forgettable, though? And then I realize the singers aren't that great or the actors who are singing it aren't that great it's it's all right it's just in the universe song it works yeah. out um but but uh, they but i i, I kind of i get where you're coming from in that regard there are better like musical when, moments in this like george bruns does an amazing job with the score as you would expect yeah of course i mean honestly we what i what I, the next part that i really love is when they get to the kitchen and Merlin starts to do, get the dishes going on their own, and we get a jazzy version of the da 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 da. Now it's like ba da ba 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 da ba ba do ba. So it's got a very bebop sound to it, which is cool. So what leads to it is um basically Wart tells Sir Ector, or it's it's his like foster dad basically, um his foster dad like I turned into a fish. You get demerits for lying to me. Now go clean the kitchen. So whoa, Wart, whoa. Words like clean, like Merlin's like, we should learn about squirrels because they live in such dangerous. It's so random. Well, yeah. let me learn, let's teach you about squirrels. Um, Merlin, I have to clean all these dishes. Like, and you're talking about squirrels. This is so strange. I thought you wanted to give me an education, dude. And then all of a sudden, Merlin's uh, priorities are weird. Yeah, because it gets to the part. It's like, oh, this is such a mess. Here, let me help you out. And he's like, but and. He, here's the funny part, because um, I was wondering, I was I was telling you, this is a terrible lesson, but then he does get punished later on, and then Merlin re- apologizes and realizes, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, so, during, so that's something. During this scene with when Merlin creates, like, uh, magic, like, these magical, uh, basically makes magic to have the dishes being cleaned and such, and there's that jazzy version, Wirt says, but I'm supposed to do this, and he's like, no one knows the difference, son. Who cares as long as the work gets done? And I'm like, that's a bad lesson, man. Yeah, and Mer- again, Merlin's not perfect, just like Walt. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. later later on, uh, after their squirrel adventure, when they get back, um, Sir Eckhart um, punishes Wart for not doing his work and all that. Uh, and then Merlin does apologize. Like, I'm sorry, lad, I, I shouldn't have... Well, y'all, it's not even just that. He punishes, he he says that you're, this is so bad to the point where I, you can't be a squire anymore. It's going to be this other kid, Hobbs. Yeah, Hobbs, who Hobbs, we never who see. we never see. Never see at all. Yeah. Um, but, now. Uh, ba- squirrel part. Yeah, so we, we skipped over the squirrel part. This part's strange because um, 
Hey, you know, kids, consent is very important. Yes. And when um, when the the girl squirrel is, you know, obviously it's supposed to be cute and funny, and it is kind of, but more more often I'm sitting there like Merlin, he's saying no, and the squirrel doesn't understand no, but you could help your you could help him out. He doesn't he doesn't want this. He's saying no, he's setting boundaries, and yet and yet you just let it like, ah, oh, but this is love, it's fun, you're a boy, you should want this. No, he doesn't want to be hit on by a squirrel uh, female squirrel. So yeah, the 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 whole gag is like this female squirrel sees Wart as a squirrel and is totally in love with him. Um by the way, one of the things Merlin says is wrong. He lies, Mr. Educated Man. So when Merlin tells Wart uh, when a girl squirrel chooses her man, it is for life. Not true. Squirrels do not mate for life. They only spend a couple nights together during mating season. And then the male leaves, forgetting all about his family. And then the female raises the baby squirrels. So Merlin, well, Merlin can't get everything right. No. <laughs> um. Well, and all, well, Merlin clearly got this part wrong. Because again, I would have been like, oh, this, guy's clear, this kid is clearly say, saying no. Like you, you claim you're you've gone to the future, but you haven't gone far enough. Apparently, yeah. Um, but but then, it, it's still. I mean, but then again, I have to, I, I'm looking. I have to look at it from where it was, and I guess yeah, it's kind of funny. Well, like, I guess the, there I are think, funnier parts. I think what yeah, I think what works for it is because Merlin's like, oh, and then all of a sudden a fem- another a female squirrel, uh, a much older female squirrel, f- starts to fall for him, and he's like. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, this is what sells it for me because it's like he's getting a taste of his own medicine. Exactly. This is, see, you're like, when it happens to someone else, sure, oh, it's funny. Oh, love is just like that. You just got to let it happen. As soon as the same thing happens to him, oh, no, 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 I'm not interested. No, no, no. And and well, the squirrel doesn't understand him and won't take no for an answer. <laughs> I, so I'm like, I gotta admit, this, is, this is like instant karma. So, but here's the thing. This endears me to Merlin more. I know this sounds awful, but it's the fact he's not perfect. This is not a perfect guy or, like, this is not someone, like, oh, you should fully, like, trust. He's learning as well. And uh-huh. Although I love the fact that, like, uh, there's a point where he's, like, him as a squirrel. It's, like, all serious, like, I'm an old man. I'm an old man. <laughs> I'm an old cool. <laughs> and he's, like, getting tickled and all that. It's... So when he turns human and... Okay, him turning human after from a squirrel to human as the woman squirrel is coming after him... Uh, is so funny because the one squirrel's like, "Yes, I'm coming after you." Turns into a man. She screams like bloody murder, and he says, "You see, I'm an old cantankerous." Yeah, he says exactly what he is. Yeah, I, uh, this is that part where I, I imagined like, you know, I'm an old cantankerous, cantankerous mad, and then like in the theater at the first screening, Bill leans over to Walt and just nudges him. Nudges him and Walt just goes like you're fired. <laughs> um I will I will hand it to uh the the nameless squirrel that saves Arthur from the wolf again. And that wolf oh, that wolf is comes up a few times. There was a really good gag earlier where he's following uh Wart and Merlin as they're trying to go to the castle. And he yep. keeps, stuff keeps happening. They don't even know he's there. And they, they, they go to the top of a hill and they realize they have to go the other way. So they go back down. The wolf has spent the whole time climbing the hill, gets to the top, sees it leaving, just goes, <laughs> passes out. Um, uh, and so this wolf is having the worst luck. Comes but, back. He's trying to eat a young wart squirrel. Squirrel wart. Squirrel wart. And uh, 
totally misses totally misses all in uh thanks to female squirrel. Right. And when Wart turns back into a human and this is, this is, it's a little sad because he was like, no, I'm trying to tell you I, it wouldn't have worked because I'm actually a human. But she doesn't understand that. And she's just like heartbroken that her her potential squirrel mate has disappeared. Yeah. And, and become this boy. Uh, to which um, uh, Merlin says love is the most powerful uh, force on earth. And uh, what says more than gravity? Yeah, he learns about gravity. By the way, there's some funny bits too. Okay, it it let me. I'll get to it in a little bit. But um, basically, he said yes. I, it's the most powerful thing on earth. And it's like, oh, it's actually very kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. <clears throat> Only to be suddenly cut to the fact that uh, uh, a woman's like uh, who is it? Like the scholarly maid screams like this kitchen is bewitched. Oh my god! And then yeah, slapstick. Um. um. Let's jump ahead a little bit. So he's talked a bit about sort of what the demerits thing and how he doesn't become a squire because of this kitchen situation. Yeah. And Merlin does come and apologize. But Wart, you know, agrees that he still wants to focus on his education, even though he can't be a squire. Um, And they're all hanging out in the tower later. Because he's like, he's like, let's make sure you have the best education possible. So that way you can, because how it was worded is like, all you can go is up from here, so... Yeah, you've hit rock bottom. Might as well go up the right way. Because, you know, maybe being a squire wasn't the thing for you. Remember, uh, Mer- Merlin is supposedly very anti-violence here. Van- Anti-brutishness, yes. basically. He- his focus, and it- this is true throughout, though. He wants to move the world toward the Renaissance. He's very education-oriented. Yes. This is, this is his goal is knowledge. He is Which is also kind of... Very like a caricature of Walt Disney as well. When you think about it, Walt is more progress. I want to say. Yeah, but he. Well, but. that's what that's what Merlin is striving for. If I teach this, we want to. I want to move the world toward progression. So I'm going to show you all these possibilities of the future. Think about Walt with Tomorrowland. Think about that's, Epcot. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, he's showing Wart models of like steam engines and uh, airplanes it, and. It's uh, just. It's just funny because like. Merlin will often, like, make a reference to something, and Ward's like, excuse me, what now? And he's like... A helicopter, for example. Yeah, a helicopter. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, um, ignore that. <laughs> like, it's a weird time-traveling wizard. Anyway, um... Because Ward doesn't know... It's it's right. the Middle Ages. Why would he know what a helicopter is? So Archimedes um, tries to teach him for a bit. So, okay, yeah, there's a point where Merlin tries to teach him, and then is trying to teach him, and he's like, yeah, the world's round. And it's like, Ward's like, the world is round, really? It's like, yeah, that... You, People won't discover this for centuries later, and Archimedes is like, dude, you you realize, like, you're gonna just make him sound like a crazy person when he announces this to the world, right? There's a weird beat in this scene where uh, Merlin accidentally drops his flying machine out the window after his slapstick bit, and it spends a good 30 seconds on Archimedes just laughing his, laughing yeah. his head off. I'm like... I, it made me laugh. It was funny, but, but then it, it goes on for a long time. It, it's awkward, but the awkwardness made me laugh. So. Yeah. Um, he's just like gasping for air, laughing at how this flying machine crashes into the mo- this model. Because the idea of Archimedes is like, yeah, sure, man will fly machines. Uh, yeah, like that's Just like gonna- a rock. Oh, because he, he is a bird. But um, around this time, Wart mentions, you know, that he's getting a little frustrated with the whole uh, education process. And then... Because he's trying to learn handwriting from Archimedes. Um, and then he mentions how it would be nice to fly. And that's Merlin's cue to turn him into a bird. And then Archimedes takes him out flying. 
And this is actually, so the other times um, when uh, Merlin tries to teach him how to, like, be a squirrel or be a fish, it takes him a while. With the bird thing, he takes to it very naturally. And even Archimedes points that out. It's like, whoa, you're a natural. You know, this the one thing is one thing I think is that yeah, A, Arthur's a natural, this is where he excels. And B, um, because Archimedes is already a bird and yeah. he doesn't have to turn into one and learn what it's like to be one, he's a better teacher. That's true. Because Ar- Archimedes actually teaches like goes step by step with him right. in this one. At least until the hawk shows up and ruins everything. And then uh basically um Warts has to fly away into... Um, he flies into the best part of the movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was just going to make that reference. You beat me to it. <laughs> I win. I win. I win. I win. I win. I win. So, uh, he flies uh, into the um, chimney of a witch's house, which being Madame Mim, who is fantastic. I love her. She, I, I, God, her energy is so incredible. It's just like. It's weird to think that this is Nanny. This is the same yeah, voice. But it, okay. I, I gotta give props to the one thing about this movie. The characters in this are so high energy and are just so much fun. And they're so memorable to me. Yeah. Like, I, like, I love Merlin. I like, I love War. I love Archimedes. I love Madame Mim. They are great characters. They're great characters. This is a character-driven thing, but... Yeah, the story sucks, but... Uh, <laughs> well, not sucks. It, it's poor. Poorly written, but... I, I, but I get well, it. I don't get to the ultimate point of why I think, ultimately, this fails as, as a story with real consequences, well, okay. but but we'll, but first, this! It's Madame this, Mim! It's Madame Mim! It's Madame Mim! So, Madame Mim is a witch... Who is knows about Merlin and is a very she's a powerful witch and she actually sings this awesome song I, I think is actually the best song in the whole movie but I think the marvelous Madame Mim just yeah. her her crazy I, I'm the magnificent tie. marvelous Mad 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 Madame Mim <laughs> and she's just having so much fun she certainly has a lot of confidence I like that oh yeah and she's like transforming herself she's just being silly and then there's a point where uh like uh. Uh, she, I mean, she's telling Wart all of this, and Wart's like, uh, um, he's like, but Merlin's magic tends to be, like, useful. <laughs> you- well, it's established during all this that, that, that Mim knows who Merlin is, and clearly yeah. sees him as a rival. And, oh, yeah, because she keeps asking who's the greatest, who's the best, and that's her obsession, she wants to be the best. And, uh, she loves games. She's a very, like, ooh, let's play a game, and let's mess around. Uh, because... Madame Mim is like, oh, uh, I guess Merlin sees something good in you. Well, in that case, and she closes the window, she's like, I'm I'm afraid afraid I have have to destroy destroy you. (laughs) And she turns, instead of just like magically destroying him or anything, no, she has to turn herself into a cat and... Oh, the rivalry is everywhere. Her her common cry as my movie establishes, is, I win, I win, I win. I think she's obsessed with one-upping Merlin. Oh, yeah. In any way possible, so... Um, the moment he bursts in to save uh, Wart's life, uh, she's ready and like, oh, what yeah. are you going to do about it? I, I, I feel like this was a bit awkward, but at the same time, it's it's. I'm glad it's getting to this part quickly. But yeah, there's a point where he's like, that's Wart. That's my Wart. You do not touch him. And she's like, what do you want to do? Fight? Let's have a wizard's duel. <laughs> I'm a, you want to go, bro? You want to go? go? She's like, mm. I, if, I, if this were any other thing else, I'd picture her like, like chest bumping yeah. uh, Merlin out of the house. But yeah, they go straight to it. They go right at that wizard's duel. So, um, I'm not gonna lie here. 
this is the best scene. The wizard stool is the best scene in this whole entire movie. Yeah, this th- for a, mo- a movie that's been mostly bereft of conflict, I think that's a big part of it. Now, honestly. Um, it's and- a smaller story, but here we needed this scene because yes. there's this is a this is a battle between I I I want to say good and evil, but we got these two really goofy wizards who yeah. are both are both great characters in their own right. And you got I get the feeling that in this universe, all spellcasters are just really bizarre, eccentric people. I and I love them. Um, now here's the interesting part: animation ex- experts actually cite this battle as some of the best character animation to date, and they're not wrong. So. Well, Lots of great stretch and squash, kind of. So, uh, before before we explain, um, what happens during a wizard's duel is the goal is they have to change into different animals and try to one-up each other and try to defeat each other, depending, like, just keep changing into animals. Gracie? She's gone under the bed. Baby! Gracie! <laughs> uh, sorry, our dog is being weird right now. Um, She's like, why didn't you have me as a guest for this episode? You only put me in the dog-centric ones. So, <laughs> oh, honey. Um, so, because the, uh, the rules are they just keep transferring in from animal to animal to animal, and uh, they can't disappear, and... Uh, they can't, um... They can't turn into imaginary creatures. Make-believe like, creatures, like pink dragons. Pink dragons, and such. But, yeah, here's the great part about um, the way they transform. It's never the same, for the most part. It's like, sometimes Merlin will do a pop, 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 and transform in from, like, a mouse to, like, a goat. Or, um, there's a... Or, um, uh, when he's falling... And as from a worm, as a worm up in the air, and she's a chicken ready to eat him, he does a sl- like this like smooth transition into a walrus. <laughs> it looks so good. It like I'm I can understand why they said the animation here is really top notch. This is some tough stuff to do, and I can I don't doubt like the animators probably had a blast doing this. You can always tell. I, you know what's interesting too is that looking back at the parts earlier in the movie, said there's something weird about the animation and the way the characters are like drawn and animated here. Mm-hmm. That that you don't get that feeling here. This no, is, this is good stuff. This is really good. I think it's definitely there's a lot of effort in this scene. Like it, like um, you could tell like. The animators were just having a blast coming up with all these different ways that uh, Madame Mim would look as a tiger, or Madame Mim would look as a snake, or Merlin would look like as a, a goat, a goat, or a um, mouse, or just different things. And it's clever. And and even the way that they conclude the fight is clever, with uh, so Mim turning into a dragon. Mim turns into a dragon, and um, uh, Merlin's like, oh, Mim, 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 and she's like, did I say no purple dragon? She is a purple dragon. Did this, I? this scene is very reminiscent of Sleeping Beauty. In fact, they even used the dun, 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 the same musical beat, like when yeah. Maleficent was the dragon. Yeah, so. and it actually, it, this is tense. Like, during that whole part, it's like, oh, shit, you're not really, sh- you're almost... Not sure if he's going to survive this. I mean, yeah, you know he's he's going to live because it's Merlin, for goodness sakes. But at the same time, you're like, whoa, how is he going to get out of this? 
And actually, the the way he does is pretty brilliant. Like this, I actually, even as a kid, when I saw this, I was like, that's, yeah, that's brilliant. This is great. So she, she has him caught between her, her claws, claws. her claws, I guess, uh, as a mouse. And she's like, I win, I win. And then opens her hands and he's gone. And he, you hear him like, I guess through like a radio sound or I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like he's muffled somewhere and he's turned into a germ. He's turned into a germ. And uh, this, like, rare disease. And he says, and you've caught me, Mim. <laughs> and it's, like, this horrible disease that, like, causes her to break out in spots. She gets hot and cold flashes. By the way, the color changes in this are really <laughs> smooth and lovely. They are. I love the transition when they go from her leaning against a tree, coughing and shivering to as a dragon to her in bed as her in her human form. Now with a thermometer in her mouth, all tucked in, and Merlin's taking her temperature. <laughs> it's like this is kind of adorable. They sort slightly taking care of her right now, or making sure she's. Okay. Merlin's a very no hard feelings kind of guy. Yeah. It seems like although he decides to be. Uh, a jerk. He's like, you're gonna need lots of sunshine, and then like puts a hole through her. It's a thatch roof, so he's able to knock it away. And, and she, as they leave, she's just screaming, "I hate, I hate sunshine." <laughs> so she's not, she's not, she's been defeated, but she's not killed or or destroyed. No, or, this is very this is smart. A, this is a great little conclusion to this whole. Honestly, thing. okay, guys, if you just want, you don't. I'm gonna call it right here. You don't need to watch this film. Honestly, <laughs> if you want to, you can. Whoa, it's, we're, whoa. It, it's a, if you want to watch it for the fact it's just a weird movie, you can do that. It is a weird movie. But, like, honestly, if you, you want to see good animation or, like, something that's actually well-crafted and, for the most part, it's not a story, but it's, like, this is, like, really good way of conflict and animation. Just watch this thing scene just go just like look up the youtube for madame mim versus merlin or whatever it's this is great this is really good yes i agree it's a good scene and uh well worth uh, your time if you're gonna see some really fantastic uh works of work of work of motion work of animation in motion so um so the rest of this is where it's just like after that you've plateaued with the movie and now we've got all, okay. The beats that kind of get make me go, ah, oh, why? So it's winter now at the castle. So time has passed. Kay has been knighted off screen. So now, oh, like oh earlier in the movie, we completely see it. So yeah, there's going to be a tournament because the sword oh, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. the so, sword thing didn't even work. So they're so what they're going to do, and this gets announced much earlier in the film. And I'm so sorry we forgot to mention this. Um, uh. There's going to be a, a tournament. It, there's supposed to be a tournament on New Year's Day, and the winner of the tournament, like it's a jousting tournament, will be King of England. So, of course, uh, Ector's like, we have to get Kay to train to get knighted so he can participate in the tournament. So that's what they've been training, working on training him to do. And, of course, um, Ward's been itching to be his squire. He's like, that's my lot in life. I'm not noble-born, so this is the best thing I can hope for myself. And Merlin's been pushing for... No, don't you understand? When you're educated, you can do whatever you want. But he, but the other guy, that Hobbs kid, comes down with the mumps. So of course, uh, warts back on to being the squire, and he falls down the stairs again. Whoa, we're, whoa! And then um, <laughs> when he goes, when he goes to tell Merlin, Merlin loses it. He gets so mad, and it just comes out. Of, it feels like it comes out of nowhere. Like yeah. he gets really scathing. It's. I think it's just much like Walt. So. Yeah. 
It, it does. It's like, well, I want, it's like, I've become a squire. This is great. And then he's like, oh, that's all you want to be. And he's like, what else am I supposed to be? I'm a nobody. And it, by the way, this part in particular, wow, the voice changes for work. Yeah, it it's, almost like changes from line to line, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, this part is like. There's a really noticeable bit at the very end, and I can't wait to talk about that bit, because I noticed it as a kid, too. Okay. So, um, well, but Mer- Merlin's Merlin all blows pissy. his top, literally. Merlin's all pissy, so he's like, blow me to Bermuda, he says. And <laughs> now as I say this out loud, I want to use this phrase. Just, blow, blow me, me to, to Bermuda! Bermuda. <laughs> and he actually just blows himself to Bermuda. So but, Arkham- like, if I get upset now, I want to say... Blow me to Bermuda. <laughs> yeah, let's, that's a good one. If we ever, like, I know we have to be careful on this podcast sometimes about swearing. We've tried to avoid it where we can. But this is actually in the film. Yeah, so in the future, we can just be like, blow me, me to, to Bermuda. Bermuda. So, um, but he does. And uh, we jump to New Year's Day. Uh, it's a little bit sad. Wart's like, I didn't think he would freak out like that. And I think Archimedes is kind of like, yeah, he's, I guess he's gone. Who knows when he'll come back. So, but Archimedes is, for his, to his credit, Archimedes is sticking with Wart. Yeah, he's like he actually joins them on their trip to London and actually helps them out uh, during the tournament because there's a point where Wurt realizes he forgot his sword at he left it at the inn. He, yeah, Kay's sword. So Kay's like, you better go get it. So he goes back to the inn, and but the inn is closed because literally everyone's at the night tournament. So uh, <laughs> apparently Archimedes totally forgot about the sword in the stone. Or well, why do we know Archimedes even knew about the sword? He in the might stone? not. Know. I don't even know if, if uh, well, they might, well, you'd think it would be a big deal. One day, God sent us a sword, and it, it appeared in the middle of London, but no one could pull it out, so everyone just forgot about it. Basically, and that's, so I guess Archimedes totally forgot about it. And it makes sense why Wart wouldn't know, because he's 11. Archimedes is an owl. I don't know well, if he would know that much about swords. Yeah, and then, 11, I guess, like I said, Wart wouldn't know he's 11. It probably happened way, way before it was born. Right, but he sees, he just sees this sword, he's like, oh, I need it for K, and he just pulls it out effortlessly. <laughs> but the funny part is he, like, sees the sword, he touches it, and then God comes and sings Like, holy him. rays come down from above, and it's just like, oh. And then Archimedes is like, oh, maybe you shouldn't touch it. He's like, but, but K needs a sword. So he pulls it, and he's about to give it to K, and then... Kay's like, that's not my sword. Oh, yeah. By the way, Kay, for some, uh, has a, uh. I'm a cockney. Uh, I'm a, a cock- cockney. A cock- okay. This is my voice. But then, um, it, like, people are starting to notice, like, wait, that's the sword in the stone. The sword in the stone. And suddenly, Thurl Ravenscroft is there, and you're like, yeah. oh, hi, Thurl. Good it, to hear you out of nowhere. Yeah, it's always lovely to hear your voice, <laughs> you wonderful man. Uh, um. But, uh, yeah, it's, everybody's, like, all freaking out. They're like, where did you find it? He's like, I-, I just pulled it out. And they're all, like, laughing, like, oh, come on. Really? And they're like, yeah, let's test it out. And the whole freaking crowd's, like, going over. Hector's <laughs> e- able to just put the sword right back in. <laughs> and then Kay's like, I should be the one to pull it. and But he can't pull it out. If he just slipped it back in, why doesn't it come out? And everybody tries to pull it. But finally, Thurl and uh, Pelinor call for um call for just to let the wart do it and he does and it's super easy instead with more god rays and twinkling lights and they're realizing a sign from heaven god has commanded this and i love the part he's like what's the boy's name wart i mean (laughs) i mean arthur like i mean it's at that point you realize you know that's kind of like really awful of them like they don't even call him by his real name they call him wart 
Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like, jeez. Now, this here's my here's my issue with this. So suddenly now he's king. Yeah. And it's the same day, and he's just sitting in an empty castle with the coronation crown and the sword. And I'm like, you know, for a movie called Sword in the Stone, this doesn't come into the end, and that's fine. Like, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of the what it's based on, and it's more about the relationship between Merlin and. But nothing Wart learned contributed to him withdrawing the sword. No. It, it was just a happy accident. So what was the point of everything before? I think, okay, so I think the is, idea behind it, in the book, it makes it makes sense. The idea behind it is that he's going to be king. It's important that he learns that uh, knowledge can triumph over um, just brut- like British force because that'll help him be a better ruler. Right, but that's but the only time you really see that illustrated is during the the aquatic scene. Yeah, because you see Wart have to outsmart that well, fish that's trying Merlin to eat him. Well, but then Merlin does that too, and then um, but, Mer- but Merlin the rest of the movie, Wart's just kind of an observer while Merlin does everything else. Okay, good point. The squirrel ends up having to save Wart from the wolf. Good point. And then the wizard he 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 doesn't even he doesn't he gets caught by Mim, and then it's Merlin who has to fight Mim. So there's not a ton of agency on Wart's part, unfortunately. Not really, no. He gets, he learns to fly a little bit. I guess this is my, this is my big takeaway is that he didn't, he didn't, I felt like he didn't learn much that contributed to him getting the sword. Yeah, good point. The sword, Uh, it it just feels like it's out of nowhere. As a movie, like we said, as a movie, the story is not strong at all. There really isn't a story. We're just kind of following like Merlin teaching this boy. And he and just, and then later, it just, just re- by her happenstance, the same boy. I mean, I know Merlin kind of saw it coming, but they, they imply that Merlin's training is what's going to get him there. And I just didn't feel like it got him there. No, it really didn't. Because he was, he still had agreed to be a squire and was just like, oh, okay. And in my squire duties is when I go, when I'm doing the whole squire thing is when I get the sword. Mm-hmm. So it just, I don't know. It's probably not that big a deal. It just, it didn't sit well with me. I was just like, okay, sure. This is where the pacing feels weird. You're completely right, though. Okay. No, no, you, you are in the right for this. Right, right. Um, but let's just finish this up. Uh, Merlin comes back from Bermuda from the 20th century. He says it's a mess. Could I, could I just mention, though, this, since we're right before. Oh, yes. They're like, man, I wish Merlin. He's like, oh, I wish Merlin was here. And his voice returns to like kid voice when he's yelling for Merlin. This is it's I, there's no consistency, and that bugged me ever since I was a kid. I didn't know he had like three different voice actors at yeah, the time. Yeah, I I just thought he had a weird voice, and you notice it especially whenever he goes. He's like, "Oh, thanks, Kate." Whoa, we're, whoa. I I think as a kid, like I did not know he had three voice actors. I genuinely thought, like when I rewatched this at fourteen. That whoever was voicing him was going from some through some serious puberty, yeah. and they filmed it out of order. So, <laughs> and that's I mean that's common in like film. So they just basically like filmed a lot of the parts where he's like talking as a kid was like before puberty, and then everything right. deeper voice was after. No, they just got three voice actors, distinctly different voice actors. That's true. I didn't mean to cut you off. You were describing Merlin's return. Yeah, basically Merlin returns and he says, um, the 20th century is just a mess. And I'm like, heck, just wait till you get the 21st century, hon. It's kind of weird to look back on it, huh? Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're that far. But then there's a point where he's like, King Arthur and the Round Table. And it's 
Arthur's just like, wait, what? And he's like, yes, they're going to write books about you. And you'll be made into a motion picture. And there's like a motion picture. It's like television. But with no commercials. But with no commercials. And again, he has no idea what the heck he's talking about. And but and, and this is the end of the movie. Yeah. It just ends. Yeah. It's... Ugh. No, okay. This is... Merlin a, comes back as if nothing happened. Yep. It, no apology. There's no reconciliation. There's no... It just... It, they just, I feel like they just need an excuse to get Merlin out of the picture. Honestly, guys, this is a weird movie. It's this very is, weird. There is no storyline. It's there's a little bit of one, but it feels like it feels like they didn't they they threw parts of it out in order to c- concentrate more on the gags. Yeah. It has its high points, but the high point of the movie is when you get to the Mim and. And uh, Merlin honestly, fight when you get to the wizard duel. Yeah. So honestly, that's the best scene in the whole movie. Yeah, we as like, we've established. So and you know what? You know what? That whole like twenty minute bit about like, uh, kid gets trapped. This is this is a full story. Kid gets trapped. Merlin comes to save him, and then they have to do a wizard's duel to fight, and then it turns out knowledge triumphs. Right. Again, that's a. One storyline in itself, and it works out well. Right. I like this. It's I being, love that. And it again, is. it's being presented almost, like I said, as a series of uh, interconnected vignettes. Mm-hmm. But I just, it just doesn't work that well. No, it really doesn't. Um, and there are on the, and there are parts of this movie I do really thoroughly enjoy as, as we've been going on. But I just, as a whole cohesive piece, it just, it's strange, and I don't care for the pacing nor the way the movie just it feels like everything at the end points you get past uh merlin leaving just feels incredibly abrupt yeah it just it's a very awkward movie the reason i do like it like i said before the reason i like it more than sleeping beauty even though i'm not gonna lie sleeping beauty does have a more cohesive story and it actually has a plot and the it does have good beats like it actually is well paced yes the characters in this, though, are much more engaging, much more fun than what the characters I'm watching on screen for Sleeping Beauty. Mm, Flora, Fauna, Meriwether. That's it, and, though. And Maleficent. But Maleficent is hardly in there. And the three fairies, it's like the focus should not be on them. They're supposed to be minor characters. Okay, But the, the fact that the focus is on them is great because I prefer thinking of the movie as this is the story of Flora, Fauna, mm-hmm. and Meriwether. But it, it's try- it doesn't... Yes, it is. It, that's that. It is what it is. But it doesn't come across that way. The movie doesn't present itself as that right. way. Right. With this, I love the characters in here. I love these people. Uh, <laughs> the one thing I do have a tough time with, they're all very argumentative. Like they are all at each other's throats, and yeah, all pointing waggy fingers at each other. I'm like, God, you guys are just. It's jerks. a dark age. Yeah, it really is. Jeez. But, like, yeah, I feel the, no, the storyline is off. The, the, the character design is. It's okay. It's okay. There's some great animation bits. The background looks great. I, it's a weird movie. I think, how many times have we said it's a weird movie? I think that's the best way to describe it. It's just weird. And I think with that said, we might want to put a cap on this on this movie yeah um because you know at the reason i was kind of hoping we could you know press through this and we did actually we're doing i think we're doing okay on time um is because 
we're covering two films this month. Yes. So- as it is November, and we want to make sure we have space in December to, you know, do stuff. But we have an Animusings Plus coming up and a very important one. We're going to be doing Mary Poppins, guys. Ah. Uh, so, oh, my god. Which gosh. counts because there's animation in it. Yes. We, 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 we want to choose... With, with Animusings Plus, we want to choose stuff that involves animation, but if it's not specifically about animation... Uh, that's okay. Like this, Mary Poppins is some key moments, but the, it's more about what the movie did for Disney as a studio. Disney uh, as a now another brand. another thing that uh, I'd like to address that uh, Dave and I did talk about this too. So, um, since we're going to be doing Mary Poppins like at the end of the month, there's a, another weird thing that came up recently, and normally we would not do this, but but um. Not even, like, a couple weeks, like, I, I would say a couple weeks after the Mary Poppins uh, review will be released, the movie Mary Poppins Returns will be out in theaters. And there is lo- and there is animation. Right. We are debating whether we break protocol and talk about it right after we see it, maybe just in very shorthand terms. Maybe do a proper review. I don't know. So... I think one of the things we're going to do is um, leave it up to you guys. We'll give it to a vote. Would you like us to review Mary Poppins Returns after Mary Poppins? Or do you think we should wait and t- like do it in the order that... In which case, you would have to wait several years to yeah. hear our thoughts on Mary Poppins Returns. The, the, honestly, in this will not be the case with like... Any other movie that's being released? Like, I know we got, uh, uh, Ralph, Ralph Breaks the Internet. As, as of this recording, Ralph Breaks the Internet is the next, uh, major Disney feature animated piece. And, and we're out. not gonna review that now, cause there's no reason to. It's, we're gonna film, we're gonna do that in order. Yeah, we're, I'm very, it's, I was very, in the beginning, we were very struck. Like, we, we are go- not going to go to anything out of sequence in terms of the mainline Disney features. Exactly. This is just a weird occurrence. Like, it, we did not plan for this. this. It just so happens the same time that we're going to be reviewing Mary Poppins, the sequel comes out. At the very least, we'll do a quick, uh, we'll, without summarizing the entire movie, we'll give our thoughts on it. Yeah. Maybe even a spoiler-free one. So if you guys want to hear this, uh, feel free to reach us out on Twitter um, at AnimusingsPod. And uh, we might do a poll, who knows? Um, and just let us know. Do you, if, do you think you want to hear this review now? Or would you rather he- hear it like later down the road and let us keep with our timeline? That, seem, that seems fair. It's up to you guys. Yeah, just let us know. We love getting feedback from y'all. We've gotten some good feedback from people in the past. Um, and thank you for you know your continued support, your, your feedback you do give, for subscribing to the podcast, for uh, listening to us, giving us a little bit of your time. Because obviously it's just two big nerds rambling about Disney movies all the time. Uh, so join us uh, soon for Mary Poppins. And then in, come back again in December when we will talk about The Jungle Book. And uh, that'll be a fun one. We're going to do a crossover with um, Nothing New Podcast on the Ben View Network. Because uh, uh, along with... Uh, they'll join us for reviewing uh, Jungle Book and we'll eventually join them for reviewing the live action jungle book one of the many live action jungle books (laughs) so uh feel free to listen in on that when it comes out so uh until next time uh higgadis piggadis piggadis preston into turny what a way to pack (laughs) ha ha
I'm Aaron. I'm Brendan. I'm Brian. And I'm Rob. And we're the hosts of Faux Boys, the podcast about Doughboys, the podcast about chain restaurants. So, Aaron, what is Doughboys? Doughboys is this podcast hosted by Nick Weiger and Mike Mitchell, who are two hilarious comedians, where they talk about chain restaurants every single week. So, wait, what's Faux Boys then? Faux Boys is a podcast hosted by Aaron, Brendan, Brian, and Rob, four hilarious comedians who talk about Doughboys, the podcast about chain restaurants. Are we going to go to the same chain restaurants that the Doughboys are going to? I sure hope so, but if we don't, we're still going to record an episode. Do they have chain restaurants in Canada? <laughs> Some of them. So tune in to Foughboys, the podcast about Doughboys, the podcast about chain restaurants on BenviewNetwork.com. Every two weeks to listen to Foughboys, the podcast about the podcast about chain restaurants. Hey, does Feral Audio know we're doing that? This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.